Welcome to the Zen Habits Podcast, where we dive into how to work with uncertainty, resistance, and fear around our meaningful work. This is for anyone who wants to create an impact in the world and cares deeply enough to do the work. I'm your host, Leo Babauta, creator of the Zen Habits blog. Okay, so I am excited to bring on as a guest, as one of my first guests, Kyra Jewel Lingo, who is uh, someone who I know I'm starting to consider a friend since we've worked together for a few times now. Let me introduce her a little bit. So Kyra Jewel, she studied under Thich Nhat Hanh in his Plum Village and became a Buddhist nun the age of 25 in 1999, and spent 15 years as a nun, engaging in all-day mindfulness practice, basically you know, studying um, under Thich Nhat Hanh, leading retreats, community building, guiding individual students, leading the community's mindfulness programs and retreats for teens, children, families, Work closely with Thich Nhat Hanh to edit transcripts of his talks into books, including um, a couple of New York Times bestsellers. And so uh, she worked deeply with him and considered him not only a mentor, but someone she was really close to. And then not too long ago, she decided to leave the nunhood, leave um, the monastic life and go into lay life. And she spent some time not knowing what that was going to be and sitting with that. And so now she is exploring um, not only leading people in mindfulness, but doing it with her husband and leading communities and doing some really fascinating things. She's also written a book. I highly recommend it. We will link to it in the links below. You know, I think it's an incredible book. It's called We Were Made for These Times, 10 Lessons for Moving Through Change, Loss, and Disruption. I've read the book. I've given it as gifts, uh, as a gift. And it's really about practicing resting into the unknown, taking care of your emotions, maintaining your centeredness, and finding equanimity and joy in any circumstance. This is a perfect book for the times that we're going through. And I'm happy to dive into this with Kyra Jewell. Okay, well, welcome, Kyra Jewell, to the podcast. Um, beautiful to have you on. Thank you for having me. Is it okay if I just dive right in? Please. I'm, I have a lot it. of things I'm really curious <laughs> about, and I want to respect your time. So sure I want to just... Um, so, well, first of all, um, it's been a little while since the last time we talked, and so I'd really love to hear some of the things that you've been working on lately and the ways you've been working with people, things you're excited about. Sure. I am excited about um, building community and creating spaces where people can encounter themselves and each other. And that's been happening in a few different things that I've been doing. Um, A small group mentoring uh, that I did last year that I've done this year for three months and Mm. hope to do that on a regular basis, maybe every year where um, people really, it was surprising to me how quickly people felt a sense of community Mm. in this group. Um, 
where we just come together to share our practice, deepen our practice. It's, you know, a space for people to bring in their questions and their, you know, concerns as Mm. it relates to their daily life and practice. So that's been really um, nourishing for me. And then um, the Buddhist Christian community of meditation and action that my husband and I uh, teach together. Um, It's also been just surprising to me how people really feel it is their community, you know, not, and some people just come a few times or they drop in every so often, but a number of people seem to really feel it. it's becoming a real spiritual community for them. Can you tell me more about that? Buddhist, sure. Christian, um, meditation community. and action. Okay, community. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Um, community of meditation and action. So we started it this, uh, January 2022. So we've been going a little more than a year. We meet monthly, but this year we also started to have um, small group like check-in time. So Adam, my husband, would do one once a month, and I'll do a small group once a month. People can just drop in, and it's more of a conversational space because mm. the monthly session, one of us will offer a practice to start, the other will offer a teaching, and then we'll have breakout groups and then mm. Q&A or a conversation in the larger group. So um, we bring in, we weave different elements, you know, we weave our different lineages, traditions in this session. And many people who come also feel like those two traditions are in their life in a very alive Mm. way. And there are not many spaces where both can be acknowledged simultaneously. Mm. Um, Yeah, I I was curious why... What was the intention behind it? Why you decided to create this? Yeah, thanks for that question. You know, really early on in our relationship, um, we, we we really felt like we were kind of brought together, that mm. all these things just, like it was so like astoundingly quick. <laughs> we recognized immediately that we wanted to be in a relationship and hmm. um, we were both, you know, very committed to whatever was going to unfold, you know, mm-hmm. like very quickly. And, um, and one of the things we understood sort of a few months into the relationship was when we started talking about what did we see in our future in five years or whatever, 10, and we both started talking about building community and like, uh, like some kind of residential community or like mm. a, center or where Buddhism and Christianity could be, um, practiced, but also basically we just, we were finding our own, um, spiritual practice as a couple becoming so enriched by the other person's, you know, cause while I had 15 years in a monastery, Adam has this very deep, you know, um, engagement with contemplative traditions in Christianity and other traditions as well, but he's a, an Episcopal priest. And so he's done a lot of study and practice and work with others around like mysticism and especially Christian mysticism. And so there were so many things that were like zinging when we would talk. Oh, really? I would name a Buddhist teaching and he would name like some teaching Christianity that I'd never heard of, even though I'd grown up Christian. And we would just be like, whoa, and it would be so rich. And I think we wanted to, mm. um, 
we wanted to figure out how to weave that as part of our like larger lives because mm. um, we felt it, it was so, you know, a space. Well, first of all, we wanted a space for us to go deeper in the practice. Like we mm. didn't want to be in this, you know, he, he works for the cathedral, which is very, um, there's a lot that he appreciates about this job, you know, where he's an employed by the church. Mm-hmm. And I have a pretty full schedule as a Dharma teacher, self-employed, but we both long for a really more of a contemplative life mm. where it's sort of, you know, he wrote a book some years ago called The New Monasticism, which was looking at how can we bring monastic qualities into lay life to really have mm. a deeper spiritual grounding as lay people. And so I think it, this idea of a community came out of both of us really wanting a deeper spiritual life ourselves because we both feel pretty busy, <laughs> um, which it doesn't mean like we wouldn't still be doing <laughs> a lot in a community. Sure. But the power of like group practice on a daily basis would also be very grounding and centering. And we would just have to probably live simpler and do less to, mm. to be committing to a group like that. So, um, so that was the vision that sort of emerged early on. And so we thought, how can we build towards this? We need to start building community now. And so that's where the Zoom monthly meetings came about is like, well, let's just start practicing with people and seeing what comes from us as far as a way of practice. And then that will show us the way as far as um, some kind of community. And as you're discovering the way, I really love that idea, by the way. Um, as you're discovering that, is there anything that's been interesting to you, like surprising that's being revealed at this point? You know, we <laughs> we actually were wondering if we were on the right track after the first mm. year. You, you can't mm-hmm. sometimes see when you're right in the woods. Right. So we decided to have listening sessions. We thought maybe we'll just take a break because we kind of didn't really know, you know, things were quite busy and yeah, we didn't know how to exactly continue. So we said, let's have listening sessions to just take the temperature of the group and hear what's been important for people so far. And then we'll decide if we continue or not. And we were just blown away in the listening sessions to hear how important this space is for people mm. and how it's so unique. They, they don't find this kind of, you know, interweaving in other spaces in their lives and how... Um, how much they are like yearning for it each month and often also wanting more often and how much the community also is like nourishing for them. Like they really want to get to know each other more. So we were just like, wow, like this actually is making a difference in people's lives. Like we were kind of like, we don't know if this is really doing something. Right. And so with that, we were like, okay, we have to continue. And so (laughs) we, we, it's amazing. And then, and then now with the meeting every month in small groups too, like that optional just drop in space for a smaller group has, is also letting us get to know people better and they have more space to bring in their own personal questions that mm. we don't have time for in the larger group. So, um, yeah, we've been surprised. Like we're getting like 50 to 60 people each month, but like a wow. hundred and something are registering. So they'll watch the recording later. So it seems to be resonating. Yeah, the community is is being built. Yes. Amazing. Well, we've 
we've kind of gone into that um, area of, of your work, but there's mm. other things that you've been exploring yes. lately. Anything yes. else you want to share? Yeah, yeah. So another area that's really been um, of concern and interest to me for a long time is is kind of eco-dharma mm. and how the the practice of spirituality can support us in this time of polycrisis. Um, so I've been engaged with different groups and study groups and advisory groups trying to, you know, um, understand how Dharma and climate change can really come together, both to offer a kind of grounding for activists working in this field, but also how to bring activism and engagement to people in spiritual communities mm. around climate around everything, really, racial justice, um, economic justice, all of that's so connected to the climate crisis. Um, and it's even bigger than the climate crisis. It's, a you know, biodiversity loss and, you know, um, pollution of air and water and soil. So it's so many things. But um, one of the things that I am engaged in now that feels like a very creative response to this is um, two women, Anna Kovazna and Justine Huxley, have started a concentric leadership training program. And I'm just a smaller, small part of that with my dear friend Kriti Kanko. We're facilitating the U.S.-based retreat. There's going to be retreats in several different places for this wow. international group that's going to go through this 18-month training together. Each of them do a one-week retreat at the start. So we'll be facilitating the U.S.-based retreat, but we'll be in a center in the Rockies and we're right now designing a week for experiencing ourselves as kin with all, all of life. Mm. So it's a meditation-based retreat, but the focus is really on how to experience ourselves not as separate or above other forms of life, the more than human world, but as embedded within and as siblings, kin, um, mm. with, with all other species and the planet. Wow. Uh, so amazing. I'm just, uh, feeling really moved by that. Mm. And there's, you know, I have a zillion questions coming up for me, so <laughs> I, we could probably dive in just in that topic, uh, for the rest of this podcast and beyond. But, um, I just really want to say like, I'm guessing people listening to this, the, there's stuff there that's resonating with them. Just the mm. idea of um, spiritual practice and and the eco, um, you know, the, the poly crisis that you talked about. Like there's um, so much richness when you look at the two of those kind of combining, combining those two approaches. And um I've been imagining there are people who are interested in one or the other and and feeling some resonance and like, oh, there's this other whole like sphere that I could explore. And then there are probably a bunch of people listening to this who um, are interested in both but have not really gotten involved in a spiritual community or in environmental like activism. So they those are like two areas they'd love to explore, but maybe don't know where to get started. And I'm wondering, like, what would you say to someone who's, like, in that space who are like, oh, I'm, those are both amazing places and mm -hmm. I feel a little bit intimidated? Mm -hmm. Well, there's some wonderful, um, easy places to start, which, again, emphasize community and learning and 
and joy, really, because we all can grow and learn on this path together. Um, there's two organizations that I'm connected with. One is One Earth Sangha, which is a, mm. a Buddhist response to the climate crisis. And um, they have a, a eco-sattva training, an eight-week training, which you can do mm. on your own time. You're encouraged to do it with a group. So you could bring a group of friends along and you everything's pre-recorded and you can do this course as a way Amazing. to kind of dip your toe in what this means to, you know, eco-sattva is like um, based on the word bodhisattva, this mm-hmm. awakened being. So it's like, you know, a being who really works on behalf of all of life. Um, Love that. Um, but they also have, even if the training isn't, you know, what you'd be interested in, they have a monthly session that is open to everyone by by donation. And they have different teachers that um, offer really, you know, profound, like a two-hour session with practice as well as teaching mm. and time to connect in community around a prompt, you know. So that that's great. something people could drop in. And then another uh, Buddhist group is called the Earth Holder Sangha. Mm. It's in the Plum Village tradition and of Thich Nhat Hanh. And so they also meet not just monthly, but I think every two weeks. And it's a very much community-based um, you know, getting to know each other and supporting each other. They have a wonderful website with so many resources mm. on um, practices, very grounded in practices we can do that help us connect with the earth, connect with, um, from a spiritual perspective, um, touching the earth and mm. um, meditations. Um, so I would say both of those are great entry points where there are others that are doing it with you and that, you know, there's the, the teaching element, there's the being in community uh, element. And so, um, and just those, both of those websites are just Amazing. chock full of resources and talks Perfect. and recordings. So, Yeah, thank you. Um, and there's one more um, thing that I think you mentioned before we started recording that I wanted just to make sure we... We touched on as we look look at the things you're passionate about, mm. and I'll just say a word to prompt you, uh, which is uh, wild. Oh yes, so <laughs> connected to this eco dharma. By the way, another great website is the Kincentric Leadership website. Okay, um, that has we'll also sure it's a growing links. resource. So stay connected to that too if that's of interest. Beautiful. It's more than just the 18-month program. It's a whole thing that will be on offer for the public, mm. even if they're not in that leadership training. But um, yeah, as far as the world wild, word wild, um, I had a chance to offer a retreat with other teachers in the fall that was almost completely outdoors. It was a meditation retreat in silence. We were sitting, walking, sitting, walking, but outdoors. And it was such a... Uh, I have led hiking retreats and nature retreats before, but this was the first time doing that format mm. of Vipassana practice outside. And it was so, um, it was so profound for me to notice how much nature absorbed, like there would usually be so much more suffering on a, on a normal mm. retreat indoors and it just wasn't coming up. People were touching so much joy so quickly. Wow. Or or at peace or or you know 
deep, deep things, but they weren't hitting the kind of obstacles that they would often hit when sitting indoors. And so that was just wow. really profound. And so I just thought, I just want to teach all of my retreats outdoors, like <laughs> this sense of... Um, it's amazing. Yeah, like really wanting to do more... Um, you know, really bring in nature as part of the Sangha, as, as the teacher mm. and to, to take refuge more in, in the natural world as not just the backdrop of a retreat, but like the foreground, like, you know, a really yeah. big part of our healing. Cause I feel like what is so at the root of our, all of the destruction we're causing the planet is this sense of separation. Mm from from the earth from life and so anything we can do to be outside and with you know other life forms with the earth and the sky and the rain and the sun is is healing mm. that's um really profound stuff and mm. i resonate 100 percent with all of it mm. it's just so important um, from, you know, I was just leading a retreat in Costa Rica mm. and, you know, the, the wild there is just right there in your face. <laughs> Even when you're indoors, it's coming in for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was just so, like, I was so nourished by that. I'm, I'm someone who's from the tropics. So, um, when I was there, I'm just like, oh my God, it's just filled me up, um, in a way that, you know, being in California doesn't. Um, although there's some amazing wilds here too. Um, but the other piece of it that you spoke to that I really resonate with is how much nature can absorb from us, like all of our emotions, all of, all of the stuff that comes up in us and we try and hold it in. And if we release it, some of the things that I've been working with is trusting nature Mm. Um, to be able to hold all of that. Yeah. And it's actually amazing. I, I um, think I had a view of the world as fragile, like it couldn't mm. take all of my mm. pain, anger, suffering, all of that. Mm. And it could take so much more <laughs> than that. Um, and it's, it's energy that it can absorb. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. I resonate with that. And it's, it's, Amazing that you're um, bringing that into the world. Mm, thank you. Um, okay. There's a couple things that I want to get to um, in this conversation that I, I'm really curious about. Um, and one of them is, so you know, as I've shared with you, um, I'm really interested in, in taking practice with uncertainty and um, spiritual practice into meaningful work. So like where those those combine. And one of the reasons your story has always really fascinated me is because you spent years in a monastery with an incredible uh, teacher, but with an incredible community as well. And, um, and I'm sure that was, um, you know, there's so much there that we could learn from, from that and and then you decided to leave it, um, leave that behind, leave that person behind, that part of your life behind, and enter into something new without even knowing what that was. And you talked about sitting 
with that that not knowing and being willing to sit in that and then to see what emerges. And now what you've just shared with us are some of the things that have emerged that I'm, I'm sure you couldn't have even guessed when you decided to um, leave the monastic life. And so that's a, just a fascinating um, example, a model in the world of uh, what I'm really curious about right now. So I'd like to ask a couple of questions about that, if that's okay. For sure. Yeah. Okay, let's see. The first one is, what has that been like for you to not only leave behind your old life and identity, but to move through the unknown and be discovering without even knowing if anything will be discovered? You know, I think that's one thing people want is like, if I can sit with it for a week, then I'll know the answers. Mm -hmm. And if you could give me that guarantee, then I'll do it. Mm -hmm. But you you went into it without having any guarantees that anything was going to emerge. You don't you didn't know what was on the other side or if there was anything on the other side. And so mm -hmm. I'm curious what that what that's been like for you personally as you've been working with that. Yeah. You know, I was sharing with someone about this recently. A new a new thing clicked for me about what what allowed me to trust. Mm. You know, cuz for me it was really just like a profound trust. Mm. For one thing, it was like I kept getting confirmation all along the way. So like the first moment I took the leap out of the monastery, while it was really difficult and really painful, I cried a lot. And, mm. you know, the people I loved who I was leaving, we, we cried together, you know. Mm. Um, like very soon after that, I, you know, was invited to, to lead a retreat here or offer... You know, so so there was like some place that held me, you know, and then and then that led to the next being able to offer something, whether it was, you know, a retreat or, uh, to, you know, to be in Sangha, to be in community. But basically, I, I always had like one one experience would lead me to the next place and, and each place felt yes this is what I need to be doing. Like it was some kind, it was a, it was a landing place. It wasn't, you know, the answer, Right. but I was, I was held. I noticed there was ground under my feet and all I had to do was be there. It, I would get into trouble if I tried to guess three steps ahead. Mm. So it was really like being led. So I was like, okay, I'm here. I had, I had something meaningful and wholesome to be engaged in with people who cared about me and respected me. And, you know, there was a, a, a genuine love and then that would lead to the next. So it wasn't like everything, you know, unfolded all at once, but there was continuous right. confirmation. You're doing the right thing. Like I never, I never felt at any point, especially in those early days as I was really very vulnerable, right. <laughs> leaving the monastery for the first time. I never felt I shouldn't be doing this, whatever I was doing. It felt very fulfilling. It felt very enlivening. And there was a lot of love. And I was still able to support people and be be supported and, mm. you know, engage in the practice and be with, you know, in communities of people who loved Thai's teachings and 
baptized practices. And so I, I was just, I was on a different orbit than I was used to, but sure. I was still orbiting <laughs> the sun, yeah, but you know? I, so here's what I'm curious about. Uh, I love that, by the way. Thank you for sharing that. Mm. But what I'm curious about is I can imagine a lot of people in your shoes and you're like, well, I, I just, you know, knew that I was doing the right thing. A lot of people would be like, am I doing the right thing? Like, well, mm. there's this thing mm. here and like, sure, that's happening. But like, you know, there's a lot of um, mm. question that come, comes up for a lot of people and you just had this trust. So why is that? Well, I mean, I also had moments. So like then I, after doing some teaching, mm -hmm. then I would every month, I mean, every fall, I would spend six weeks or a month of six weeks or three months at the Insight Meditation Society doing their long silent retreat. So that was, I did that for four years in a row. And, um, and yeah, I would sit in, in these retreats with like, I don't know what's going to come. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And that was very frightening, very, um, you know, agonizing because I had always mm. known <laughs> up until then, I always knew what mm. I was supposed to be doing. And so while I felt this sense of resonance in, in every place I would go to teach and I never felt I regretted doing anything that I was doing, it was all very meaningful. I also was in, you know, distress when I was trying to figure out what's supposed to come. Mm. And it was this very awkward place. Like I'm a nun, but I'm not living in a monastery. Mm -hmm. Like I am having to somehow support myself, sort of, you know, yeah. like I didn't have the material support from the community. So I, you know, I needed to be, you know, I wanted to be practicing and teaching. I, I was a Dharma teacher before I left the monastery. I wanted to keep teaching, but I also was just trying to figure out what, what was I going to go back to the monastery? If not, then what would I disrobe? Like all of these were questions and there weren't answers for a long time. Like it was two years as a nun outside of the monastery before I decided I do need to disrobe. Um, and so, so that was, um, very uncomfortable and, you know, not too much doubt about, oh, I, sh I didn't really think I should go back. Although sometimes if I really felt, you know, just so uncomfortable in this, yeah. you know, not yet this, not that anymore state, <laughs> there would be like this, oh, it would just, you could. But every time I thought of going back to the monastery, I felt like I would have to shrink to be back in uh, that. Not because the monastic life wasn't beautiful, but I felt like where I was personally, right. I would have to, um, you know, not be true to myself to go back to being a nun. Yeah, that, um, sound, that sounds like an important point is this, mm -hmm. you could feel the, the shrinking of that. Mm -hmm. Again, not that that's mm -hmm. a smaller life no. or anything, but it's just that's that option at that point in your life felt like it would have been shrinking. Yeah. Um, so oh, I ahead. think, yeah. So I think in terms of the doubt, it was really around just not knowing what was coming. And what I think what really, what I learned in sitting on these retreats was I could be okay with the not knowing. Tell me more about that, if that's okay. Cause mm -hmm. that's a, that's a really important yeah. Uh, topic. So you said it was agonizing, you know, just being in yeah. that, like all of the 
doubts or fears or not knowing, but then there is a, a a learning that you could be okay with that. So so how do you get from agonizing yeah. to like what you just said? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a linear <laughs> journey, right. but it was more like times of agony and then dipping into actually I'm okay right in this moment as I sit. If I fully give myself to the sitting here, the walking, the breathing, the eating, mm. the appreciating the people around me, appreciating my own, you know, wish to really live deeply this moment, mm-hmm. then it was like I realized I actually have everything I need to meet mm. this moment. It's when I would spin into you know, what do I do in six months or what, who am I going to become? That's when, you know, I would not have what I would, I would not be equipped for that kind (laughs) of question. And then that would lead to the distress. And so, you know, some of the things that helped me were just zooming out and realizing any, you know, this has happened many times in my life where you don't know what's going to come. You don't know how things will unfold, but somehow they resolve themselves, right? Mm. So just knowing that this would also be, at some point I would know if I would disrobe or go back to the monastery, like that would come to clarity. And so just trusting that that this was impermanent, but also, um, you know, this teaching, Joseph Goldstein, one of my teachers at IMS shared is that there's so much possibility when you don't know. Mm. We often think of it as a negative thing. Oh, if I don't know, then I'm somehow handicapped. But there's all this possibility when you don't know. When you do know what you're going to do, there's just that one option. But -hmm. when you don't know, there's infinite options. (laughs) And so also appreciating the freedom, the spaciousness, the, Mm. you know, it's scary, but it's also wondrous. And yeah. so just learning to hold the unknowing in different ways. Yeah. And not, and to realize actually my real security is not in knowing what's coming. It's in being able to be with what's right here. Really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um mm-hmm. and another thing I'm curious about as you as you were describing it so there's the kind of the discomfort or the agony or the distress. And then you'd kind of like realize that you had everything you needed right here in this moment. There's a root of that distress that you shared, which is like, oh, I'm, I want an answer about what's going to happen in six months or or beyond. And so it's like wanting to concretize the future, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which you can't. And so that's the, the root that you pointed to. But um, when it was peaked like that, that discomfort, I would imagine that it would it could be there for hours or days or something like that. And I'm wondering how you were able to practice being with that. If you were mm-hmm. like, let's say you were sitting mm-hmm. and that was arising and it was that was your experience. Most people want to run from that. And it sounds like you were able to be with it. Yeah. I mean, I also wanted to run from it too. It was mm-hmm. <laughs> very disorienting. Um, but yeah, talking about it with my teachers and hearing um, what they had to share was very helpful and soothing, which is just like, you are capable of being with this, Mm. you know, it won't kill you. And (laughs) discovering that for myself that like, I could sit through it. I could meet it 
And I could investigate it actually, because that Mm. feeling is made up of beliefs, right? And those beliefs are just beliefs. They're not (laughs) reality. And so, um, yeah, so that was, uh, a learning of just, um, it's okay not to know, Mm. like I could just, you know, I could see how much I wanted to land on something, this or that. And I just wasn't there yet. And so I could, I felt I I learned to expand into the not knowing, Mm. right? To just be like, yeah, it's okay. I can, I can hold this not knowing. And I, I had to, I just had to, there wasn't, there wasn't really, especially when you're sitting and walking in silence for three months, there's no escape. Like it was just there. And then there was no way to avoid it. And so I realized, yeah, I can just, this can be here. That no escape can feel very um, trapping for people, like claustrophobic mm. and mm-hmm. limiting. And mm-hmm. what um, what you're sharing is that it was actually freeing, mm-hmm. like not actually being able to escape from it. Because that's what we're most of us are doing all day long, is trying to escape from that. Yeah, and there isn't an escape, unfortunately. But you actually um, had some had a container, had some restrictions that actually helped you to stay with it. Um, and it sounds like that was powerful, like the powerful investigations there, powerful learnings and um, breakthroughs for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let me move to the next piece that I'm really interested in. Um, and that is, um, okay, so you're now in your next phase of your work. So you're working with people. I'm assuming you're busier now than you were when you were in the monastery. And so what I'm really curious about is what are some of the things you brought with you from your year, your years of like marinating in the monastery? I don't mm-hmm. know if that's the right term, but mm-hmm. if, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean, you've yeah. learned some things from there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that are now you're able to apply to your busy life of doing your meaningful work with people. Yeah. Well, let me just tell you a story because, you know, it's so nice when people come back to you and tell you stories of things they remember, which you have long mm. forgotten. Mm. <laughs> but someone just told me this story, a dear friend. She, so I had, I was going to Pittsburgh to give a talk at the university she taught at. And we put the wrong destination in the GPS. This was some years ago. And so we ended up coming late because we went to some other place. And it was, you know, a a hall full of people. And so, of course, she was beside herself. And what she reminded me, I had no recollection of this. She said, I have always, this teaching you gave by what you did always has stayed with me. She said, when you came into that hall, you were not rushing. This was, you know, some years after disrobing. And she said, and, and I was like, what? Like, I would be so rushed in that situation, you know, but she was so <laughs> impressed that I just came in, I guess, mindfully. <laughs> <laughs> and and then the first thing I did was I led people in a body relaxation, you know, mm. and she said she was so, you know, surprised that I just kind of centered, you know, centered myself and helped everyone come into a, a steady place. 
as my first thing. And of course I did that because I needed, I'm sure I needed it. I'm sure I was very stressed that I was late uh, accidentally. But, but I think that kind of thing, which touched her so much, but I had forgotten about, um, was part of the monastic training of like, mm. um, a lot of things are going to be outside of our control and still we have to practice, you know, we have to practice. That is the practice right there. So we, we walk mindfully and, and with awareness, even if we're late, <laughs> and we're, but we're, we're like embodying what we're teaching as much as we can. I don't profess to be able to do this all the time, but sure. It was lovely to have that story given back to me of like, I'm sure that wasn't, you know, something I would have been able to do of my own accord. It was the the monastic training sure. that, that helped me to, um, but, but I definitely, um, you know, more busy and life moves much faster than when it was in the monastery. And what but are some I, of the practices you use now when you're this yeah, busy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, luckily, my day is often <laughs> full of getting to do things like this or yeah. you know, teach meditation to groups or mm. sit with people one on one and, you know, support them. And so and so I really try to track what's happening in me. Mm. And when I'm leading a meditation or sitting with others, I really do allow that to nourish me as well. Like I mm. listen to my teachings and I'm like, oh, that's so good. <laughs> oh, I, I have to do better in this area. You know, like I'll be pondering and, and, and reflecting on my life too. And so luckily a lot of the things, the content of what I'm doing throughout the day is helping me come into my um, true home, my mm. sense of real, um, what's really important in my life. But, um, you know, one thing... I have a dog. She's two years old. And mm -hmm. many times a day I'll stop and pet her and talk to her because <laughs> I work from home. And so she's a kind of mindfulness bell for me and, and an what enjoyment does it do for you bell. When you, well, when it, you pet her. Yeah. I just, I feel like I, I get in touch with love. Mm. I'm not thinking about work that I have to do next. I'm just mm. being with her, looking into her eyes, smelling her. That's uh, so sweet. <laughs> yeah, just so she's like a a being that really helps me also to just like slow down and enjoy and connect and feel my heart. Mm. Um, Beautiful. But all, but yeah, one other thing I would say, and this is something I've just kind of come into more in the last maybe year is just really having a, a committed exercise routine mm. where I, I really spend the morning, uh, you know, I have a meditation time, but I also have a, a time where I work out and I work out more vigorously than I used to where I oh, wow. sweat and I'm, you know, lifting weights and, <laughs> and it's so, it feels so good to let my body, you know, feel its strength and to do Amazing. things that are challenging and to sweat. And, and I feel like that sets me up also for just my mind being more still throughout the day when I really can work my body, mm. not too, too, you know, not overly, but to a good, like to challenge myself on a regular basis. 
So I'm jogging again. I took, I wasn't jogging for many years. And now, anyway, just different kinds Amazing. of exercise. Well, I'm looking forward to the Kyra Jewel workout program released <laughs> on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> Um, I think that's a good place to wrap up. I, yeah. I, I want to acknowledge a couple of things that you just said there because mm-hmm. I'm not sh- I want to make sure that people really get the mm-hmm. some of the really key things in what you just shared. There was a um, recognition of what's coming up in you, like a mm-hmm. awareness of mm-hmm. like you know what's there for you. I'm guessing in terms of body sensation, yes. emotional, maybe mm-hmm. even thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so there's just a checking in and just being Mm -hmm. aware of that um, Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. I heard a being nourished by other people and the connection Mm -hmm. with other people, Mm -hmm. um, which is such an amazing thing. We don't, we're often thinking, we often relate to that as a draining thing, Mm -hmm. but there's a way to relate to it where it could be nourishing. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, It sounded like that you might be using people to remind you of your own teachings to follow them. Uh, So that (laughs) sounded pretty cool. And then petting your sweet dog and just getting in touch with love was mm. is such an incredible thing. Yeah. Uh, just having a moment where you just get to be there and there's mm. nothing else in the world but you and her. Mm. And and it's also sounded like a tactile experience as well. Mm. Um, mm. Really beautiful. And um, and then exercise, which is just yeah. a like. <laughs> You know, really getting ourselves in touch and taking care of mm-hmm. the the vessel that we have, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. even feeling like a little bit strong and building yeah. some of that. Yeah. Um, really incredible. Mm. Okay, thank you for sharing all of that. You're so welcome. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna um, let you go. Um, I know you've got other things to get on to, but I really want to yeah. thank you for mm. your time. I wish I had three times as long so I could dive in even longer with you. <laughs> But um, I really appreciate the gift of you and your wisdom mm-hmm. and your teachings Thank and the work so that much. you're doing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll share some links for things that you're doing so people can Great. find out more and Great. support you and get more of your teachings. But um, Kyra Thank Jewel, you. thank you for Thank you, being Leo. on the podcast. Also, while we're in this conversation, I'd like to tell you about my Fearless Living Academy which is a monthly membership program that I've created. We've been running it for a few years now, and it has all of my best courses on changing your habits, on finding your purpose, and on creating an impact on the world that feels meaningful to you. We have a community section. We have a monthly uncertainty challenge, which is really powerful, a way to dive deeper into this stuff. And if there's something that you want to create in the world, this is the place to go. So check it out. It's at zenhabits.net slash fearless, and you'll be taken to a page to learn more about it. Fearless Living Academy, please check it out today. It's always good to be with you. Really appreciated our conversation. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. If you found this episode useful, please share this podcast with someone you know who cares deeply. That would be really meaningful to me. And if you'd like to dive deeper with me into this work, please check out the blog at zenhabits.net or get in touch at leo at zenhabits.net. Thanks for listening.
And I hope you'll join me every Wednesday for more episodes of the Zen Habits Podcast. <laughs>